When we have pressure, pressure impacts us. Nobody's immune to pressure. This is my key, right, for today. This is my priority. You know, you don't always have the perfect round. You don't always have the perfect shot shape. You're bringing double bogey into play on every hole because you're firing at every flash. We are back aboard the Par Train for another monthly recap. I'm Brett, the editor of the Par Train podcast. And throughout the month of December, very, very busy. We started on December 3rd with episode 282, and we rolled all the way up to episode 288. So a ton of stuff to get to today. Of course, an LFG episode and another recap that was looking at November is packed in there as well. Real quick, if your golf game's off the rails or you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Monthly recaps happen each and every month. Very happy to bring them to you. And just like your other Par Train episodes, it's brought to you by Roback Activewear. I'm currently sporting the Burkdale vest. It's blue with white accents, fleece pockets, and then it's got a little kind of hideaway pocket on the inside too. Cool stuff, American flag on the back. And they've really been up in their vest game. But not only that, so much more for the men or women out there that want to sport a little Roback. And according to Roback.com, they do have new colors added to their camo collection. I know Ev has a couple of these pieces. I haven't gotten any yet. And something else I haven't gotten yet, but have been hearing quite a lot about, especially from our guys, Evan and Matt, are the crew neck sweatshirts. Several colors to choose from as well, like the Fleet Navy or the Ponderosa Green, which is going to match up with pretty much anything you wear from the waist down. So Roback.com, get the stuff you want and use the code TRAIN at checkout and you'll get 15% off. So for a monthly recap, looking back to December, I was excited to get into this month because of all of the things that were happening. It was the end of the year, a lot of conversation about what they're going to take from 2023 and adjust for 2024. And if you've been listening throughout January so far, you've learned that both Evan and Matt both have their goals for 2024. Evan's really looking forward to getting out with coaches and learning a few things here and there to take with him down the road. Matt's big goal for the year is to actually play in some tournaments, so best of luck to both of them. But looking back to December 3rd, episode number 282, cool episode here because Josh Nichols joined the show. He's the host of The Mental Golf Show, and as Evan said in the description, Josh joined the show to make some par train history. It was the first time the two biggest mental golf podcasts came together for one show. And from what I hear in this episode, Evan's going to be doing the same thing. He's going to jump over to the Mental Golf Show and do an episode with Josh. So it was cool to have him on. We're going to dive into this. The episode named Seven Things Amateur Golfers Get Backwards with Josh Nichols. And since there were so many to choose from, I went ahead and picked two. So we're going with point number five and point number six. Point number five, how do you define confidence, which is my favorite of the two that were picked. And this isn't the dictionary definition per se. How do you define confidence. Let's get into it. Episode number 282 from December 3rd. Seven things amateur golfers get backwards. How players define confidence. Mm. So I'm interested in, in your thoughts and I've got a lot of thoughts on this. So we might disagree, which would be cool, honestly, but yeah. I um, think I know what you're going to say. Okay. So the, maybe I'll just keep it open-ended. How do you define confidence? That's a good question. Can I say what I think people think first? Bring it. You can say whatever you want. It's your show. So I think, <laughs> true. <laughs> I think people define confidence by good golf. Mm. So 
You need to see good golf in order to feel confident. What I, I don't think I've ever said this, but what I define true confidence is if I do this, I'll be okay. Hmm. It's a self-belief that's driven in, rooted in practice and work that I know my tendencies. And if I do one or two of these things, like I know I can, I'm going to be okay. And you can, and usually more times than not, if you play around like that, like for example, if I swing 80% today, I'm probably going to be okay. Hmm. My foul balls don't usually happen when I swing 80%. It usually happens when I've got way too many things in my head mechanically, or I'm swinging out of my shoes, right? Hmm. So if I just swing 80%, my dispersion I know is going to be okay. I don't need to worry about that water, right? As long as I do 80%, I'm going to be okay. Now, that's a very simple example, but I think that's what confidence is, mm. in my opinion. What do you think? I Obviously, I, I love your first one where you said, most people think it's, I've been playing well recently. I've got good results. Therefore, I can be confident. And the counter to that would be, well, that's really fragile. Because yeah. what if you haven't? What if you mm -hmm. start off this round with a triple bogey and immediately you're against the wall? How are you going to, like, is your confidence shattered? Well, then maybe you're finding your source of confidence in something different. But yep. your second one, that's really, I've, I've never heard that way of talking about it before. Of, I've never talked about it like that before. Right. <laughs> I don't that's know what really just happened. <laughs> that's awesome. It's basically, I know myself so well that this is almost like my safety zone, right? Mm -hmm. This is my comfort zone. Like this is my key, right? For today, this is my priority. So if I do this, then I'll probably be okay. And I, I think that has a lot of value for two reasons. One is you're more process focused and less result focused. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm going to focus on doing doing this thing well, and the result should happen, right? It, like the result happens as a symptom of me doing the thing that I'm going to care more about. And the other is if I do this, I'm going to be okay. I think that leaves it open to, but I might not, right? I might not be okay. Even if I do do this, I might not be okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really strong source of confidence is even if I'm not okay, I will be all right. I will yeah, permission continue. To permission to fail. Exactly. Yeah. If you're allowed to fail, if failure is okay with you, if mistakes are okay with you, what's to be afraid of, right? You're yeah. not going to avoid mistakes. You're not going to play scared. You're going to play confidently. You're going to feel confidence. So yeah, it's that statement of like, no matter what happens, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to be right. okay. I have the tools. Right. Yeah. I, I've been working on it. Yeah. And if it I goes terrible today, that's okay. I'm going to get back to work on it. Right. So it. really confidence is fragile. Confidence is based on results. Strong confidence is based on process. Yeah. To put it as simple as possible. Yeah. yeah. Now, number six is somewhat similar but it's also very unique. It's very different than what we've talked about. It's thinking about what will happen if, when, 
something goes wrong versus mm. what does it look like for this to go right? And I learned this from Rick Sessinghouse on a playing lesson we did recently where he said, what does the good shot look like here? Mm. Where in the past, vocalization to me was talking about where I don't want to go, where's the miss, and then pick a target. But I wasn't vocalizing what does the good shot look like? And having very deliberate instruction. Well, it starts at that tree by the green and it's going to fall five yards right. I was using words like maybe, I think. Mm. He was really helping me get clear on the best case scenario. That doesn't mean you ignore the stuff you want to avoid. So it's nuanced from what was this number three, right? Trying mm. not to hit into hazard versus getting clear. But this is also focused on what you want, focus on how it goes right versus mm. what you want to avoid going wrong. You see the difference? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, I do. So I think addressing the worst case, like, or where is the areas to miss or what am I scared of? Those are kind of part of it needs to be like it. Most of us are familiar with decade where it's kind of all built on what's a bad miss, right? right. And aiming away from that bad miss. It's almost like all you're thinking about all day is where not to hit it. Right. And that has a lot of value, yeah. but if that's all you care about all day, then you're never, you're never really telling yourself, okay, what do I want to do here? Right now there is, there is value to, okay. I know everywhere I don't want to hit it, which kind of by process of elimination tells me I should aim there. Right. Right. It, it can lead to a clear yeah. target, but actually vocalizing it and saying, this is where I want it to start. This is where I want it to end up. I, I can see it already in my head. I think that does have value. And speaking of mental golf type and John Weir, he would say some people like that. Some people need that. Some people need that kind of verbalization. I can see it, visualization. I can already experience it in my head. Some people need that. And other people maybe don't need it as strongly. I think that might fall into a personality type. And I, I don't know where I would fall on that. I haven't played enough rounds thinking about it, being aware of it, but I definitely don't think everyone needs to fully verbalize every shot before hitting it in order mm -hmm. to hit it well. I, I think a lot of players could get value from that because they're probably too consumed with what they're scared of. Yeah. So I, you got to have both. I think yeah. you got to, you got to be able to notice, wow, I'm terrified of going there. Okay. Why we need to figure that out so that you can choose where you do want to go. Yeah. And I've noticed for me personally, over the years, if I have that fear, I rush. Mm. And so I play super fast, but with rushing, I have no clarity on where I want to go mm. and my body has no idea what to do if I don't give it that. So right. it's, it's, it's not just fear, negative versus positive target. Yeah. It's also rushing no, no direction as yeah, well. Right. That's from December 3rd, episode number 282, Seven Things Amateur Golfers Get Backwards with Josh Nichols, the host of The Mental Golf Show, and keep an ear out for when Evan Singer joins Josh's show to kind of do a little reversal of 
what episode 282 was. I'm looking forward to it myself. Episode 283 was our course management LFG episode, and episode 284 was recapping November. So we're moving on to episode 285, Evan on the road trip to Birmingham, Alabama, and he stopped in to take a seat literally with Dr. Brett McCabe and they were talking about the struggle bus and why Evan can't get off of it. Dr. Brett McCabe's analogies that he was putting into this episode were fantastic. It really gives you a different outlook on how the golf game works and how different a mind can think out on the golf course. A lot of the episode was focused around pressure. We stop thinking about playing the game and start thinking about becoming embarrassed about how we're playing the game, which is a bad road to go down. So we'll get into episode 285 with Evan and Dr. Brett McCabe. We train the best. We train trauma surgeons and pilots and, and Wall Street traders and all that, how to think under pressure. We, our golfers under pressure do the same thing. And there are players on PGA Tour that play really well on Thursday and Friday, and then they fail on the weekend. And then other players surge on the weekend because they're better dealing with pressure than other people, right? Yeah. So when we have pressure, pressure impacts us. Nobody's immune to pressure. Water always finds a crack. So if I took your water bottle and it had holes in it and it was empty, it's a completely functioning water bottle. Okay. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. The holes will not become evident until you put water in it. Yeah. And the pressure of water will expose those cracks. Okay. And that's the thing that we want to look at is when those cracks happen, what do we do? And the interesting thing I want people watching to think about is anytime you're struggling with something, it's usually, and it feels really painful. I've learned that means it's probably intertwined with some, a core value of yours, something that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And I've realized over this past year, one of my core values of who I am for as long as I can remember since I've been training and studying the mind for the last 20 years myself for my own life, was being able to think my way out of things, recognizing, having a certain level of awareness to understand what patterns are coming up and then having tools in my toolbox to kind of rebound and, and adapt from it, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing I've realized is in those moments in this past year, the single thing I believe the most, which is we say we love golf. Mm. We say we wanna go spend time with our kids we say we want these things, but then in the moment, you're frustrated. So you went to Bali. Yeah. Okay. Any stress on that trip? Yeah. Yeah. So I love to travel, right? I travel all over the world. Yeah. Going to new airplanes and new airports and like I had to book my flight yesterday or my uh, accommodations for the Ryder Cup. Man, I was so stressed trying to find the right place to stay. Yeah. And I know I'm going to be there for a week. The people who are trained at the best. I have, my old roommate's a trauma orthopedic surgeon and really smart guy. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, when you're in 2.30 in the morning and there's car accidents coming in the room, I mean, it's chaos. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, but my assessment is not. Mm. Because I've done thousands of trauma surgeries. I still follow the same process no matter what's happening. And if something goes wrong on the table, I go through my same process. See, in golf, because we start, we get so far ahead of ourselves into the results. One of my pet peeves is when I hear people say, just trust the process. But I'm going to tell you to trust the process. 
the reason it's a pet peeve of mine is people say just trust the process but they don't have to understand what the process is or to why they even have it right the goal is to have a process is to put yourself in position to win events mm-hmm. or to win football games or to win baseball games right but you have to train a process a tool set a toolkit so when you get under pressure you know where to go and what happens is you go underwater you got on that team all of a sudden you abandoned everything that you knew because the urge to avoid the embarrassment of what you were having to go through was so strong you got to how do i not do this tomorrow versus have you ever thought of that's pretty privileged to get to experience that now because if it didn't mean something you wouldn't experience it if you weren't thinking you were playing good you wouldn't have experienced it well you're going to experience hey did you ever get in the shootout have you ever won the member guest? No. Okay. So I was fortunate enough to win one year. Yeah. And I was more nervous in that shootout than I was pitching in the College World Series. And when I pitched in the College World Series, I swear to God, Rosenblatt Stadium was spinning. So I wasn't calm in the College World Series. The second pitch I threw was a line drive right off my ear, and it woke me up. And I was like, this is a freaking baseball game now. Okay. What happened in the in the the shootout was I started like don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. We got lucky enough to win it. Two years later, we get in the shootout again, so I'm sure we were catching all kinds of garbage, right? But we had won the semifinal round on a ruling. I had putted out a turn of we were, there were four teams in the shootout. We do four four team pods, and we I putted out a turn. Because the other guy was, I mean, they were in dead last. They were going to make it. I had eight feet for birdie. And it was an alternate shot situation. I made the putt. And he got all mad and thought that we putted out turn. It wasn't even going to matter. He wasn't even going to advance. The truth was, it wasn't match play anymore. It was now stroke play, so I could putt out a turn. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to the next tee for the final two-hole shootout, I, was, I had so much adrenaline pumping from just draining a birdie putt to being challenged of my integrity my father-in-law hit it in the rough and i had i remember i'll never forget it i had 185 in to a pin and i that was a seven iron but it was in the rough and i hit the seven iron and it cleared the green it cleared the trees behind the green and landed in the in the water on number two i don't think i've ever hit a ball so solid in my life Mm -hmm. total adrenaline okay Mm -hmm. total jumper lie totally downwind I smashed the crap out of it. Adrenaline. But what's the difference between being nervous and adrenaline? Our perception. See, that one I was pumped up. I was excited. They were excited, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I was like, let's go get them, and we're going to go take these guys down. Yeah. When I'm nervous, I'm like, oh my God, what happens if I hit a bad drive? What happens if I, what happens if I top it? Like 14 other people do in those match play th- situations. Yeah. Okay. You know, who cares? Like, are we really... Sure, there's people in every golf tournament and every club that have all the trophies displayed at their house, right? Okay. My value in life is bigger than that. I want to compete. But if you and I were going in the backyard and swimming across the pool, I'm going to try to beat you. Yeah. Okay. But I also know where my value is. I don't walk out to work with my players on tour and say, county champ of match play flight number eight. Yeah. Like, I respect what they do. But that doesn't mean I don't want to win. That doesn't mean I don't get nervous. But I got to reframe it, right? I got to stay anchored. Who cares if I talk? Who cares if you hit a ball out of bounds? Will you be the only person to ever hit a ball out of bounds there? No. No. 
how about we hit a great shot? How about we look at it and take that energy that's adrenaline and make it goal-directed? Awareness, anchor, action, adaptation, analyze. Let's anchor in what we know. Hey, look. And so while I'm reframing the scenario, obviously it's important. It's important to me. It's important to you. But let's reframe it. You know what? Let's go get it. Let's go get this booger and get it done. Like, if everybody else in that group is already nervous, right? there's a reason why. I was talking to a club bro the other day. There's a reason why guys don't play in the club championships. You can have 700 golfing members and there'll be 50 that sign up. People don't want to play in the club championships unless there's a stable for it where they can pick up because they don't want to put up the big number. Who freaking cares? Yeah. Who cares? So it's some, something is really interesting. When, when I watched that video just now, it's all about, and anything around anxiety roots in this same fact, right? Is you have to be able to sit with the discomfort yep. of the panic. And you said in the car, it was true versus false. Yep. True alarm versus false alarm. Yep. And so one thing I, I just realized is I thought I was anchoring in my truth in this past year when I would go through panic because, and just to give people context, it wasn't just hitting a hybrid OB twice and then I struggled for a year. It was, I was hitting almost every shot like that hybrid. Yeah. And I went from being what I thought was the strength of my game, which is a ball striker to, I couldn't ball strike it anymore. So your identity got bust. Right. Now, here's the other thing that I realized that I was anchoring in the wrong thing. I was anchoring in my truth and my identity, which is being able to not waste an experience, not waste a day. I put so much effort and training. Core beliefs that you kind of had. Right. You know? So I have core beliefs that I don't want to be in something that I say I want to enjoy and then feel down the rest of the day after not enjoying it. And so I was anchoring in the, the identity of being able to get myself out of anything, being a good coach, being, knowing my triggers. And I shut down when I couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Right. But see, so I wasn't really anchoring in truth. We all have core beliefs, right? Some of the core beliefs are hard work. You know, people who work hard always win. Right. No, they don't. Right. There are people who are lazy who win. There are people who are born with silver spoons and great opportunities. There are people who always seem to be at the right place at the right time and take advantage of it. And we typically call them lucky and whatever, but they team seem to always rise up to the moment, right? Another core belief is that great players are clutch. Like I've had a player tell me that great players, you know, great players know how to execute at majors. Not really. Okay. Everybody struggles at majors. Okay. Great players usually play their average at majors and that's why the best players in the world tend to win because they play their average and yes there are years that somebody like Wyndham Clark this year played phenomenal or Brian Harmon played phenomenal but they're also playing really good years they didn't come out of nowhere so the core beliefs tend to violate we, we tend to get violated there on occasion because what we're doing is those beliefs are trying to predict the future set up a future if we can truly be open to what the future holds, I'm prepared. I've practiced, but I got no idea how this is going to go. We could be better off. And when we can divorce ourselves from what the outcome means about us, we're better. Great episode with Dr. Brett McCabe, the in-person interview in Birmingham, Alabama, episode 285. I can't get off the struggle bus. Moving on to episode 286, we had a tour pro on the show 
James Nicholas. Find him online, James Nicholas Golf at James Nicholas Golf. Episode is titled A Masterclass on Playing Well When It Matters Most. The conversation of the DP World Tour, Q School, it's all packed into this episode, and we're going to touch on some of that during the recap here. But what is the most fascinating thing to me is how they're able to do it in the first place, but how they're able to retain as much information and deliver it back on a podcast just like the Par Train. So him being able to remember how it all went down is incredible. And we're going to dive into this episode number 286 with James Nicholas giving us the master class on playing well when it matters most. So if you think about where you were almost two seasons ago versus where you are now, it almost feels like a different player. What do you attribute that to besides the reps? Yeah. I mean, I think experiences, like you said, reps, experience, same, same thing, big in any sport, any industry, any sort of thing in life, right? The, the more you do something, the better you're going to get. Recently, I switched coaches. Gary Weir is my longtime coach, basically built my golf swing from the ground up and is, you know, the, re- the reason why I've gotten so good is because of him. But I, I switched away from him a couple months ago to Jim and John McClain down in Miami, need somebody a little closer to me down in Florida. And, you know, we started working on some new things and it's been really, really good for me. And immediately when I started working for them, working with them, I just got better. And my game was more refined, more consistent. I was able to start the ball and do, you know, hit shots that I hadn't you know, hit before. My short game was incredible. My putting was really, really strong. And I work on my putting with Daryl Kessner. Um, and it's been just the strongest part of my game day in, day out. And again, I don't know if much has changed, but I think I'm definitely trusting my game more. I'm executing under pressure. And sometimes it just, it happens, right? It happens at different times. Like I got hot at the right time the last couple of weeks. And hopefully I can continue to, to stay hot and, and play and keep playing good. And if I do lose it, got a whole bunch of notes where I can come back and try to find this again because it's a really good spot in my career. What was the first thing you guys started to work on or tweak? Yeah, that's a secret. That's uh, between my coach and I, and he's uh, he's kind of told me, don't share what we're working on. Don't share yeah. what, what we're doing. It's uh, That's someone between me and him, and that's just going to kind of stay that way. Fair enough. You can't share the secret sauce, right? Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Walk me through. You said there's six rounds in DP World Tour Q School. Yep. <laughs> and that's day after six days in a row? Yeah, it's 100 and, 108 holes. <laughs> My God. Walk me yeah. through walk me through that week. Walk me through the ups and downs. Yeah. Maybe walk me through your lowest moment. Um, or the moment that really challenged you the most. And we'll 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 start from there. Sure. So I mean, I'm gonna kind of circle back and go back to the second stage because yeah, I had to fly into Lisbon, drive from Lisbon three and a half hours to East La Canela play three practice rounds, then four rounds. And then that very next day, got on a plane to Barcelona, landed in Barcelona, drove an hour and a half down to Infinitum where the course was, checked into my Airbnb, got all settled. Next day, played a practice round, played four practice rounds. And then, you know, that last day was was a pretty chill day where I got recovery. So I'm on day 11 of playing every single day um, in a kind of mindset. And then I got six more rounds after that. So day one, I'm just like, okay. Again, we made our game plan. Let's stick to it. And that was what I was talking about before is like trying to not get too high and not trying to get too low. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember what my first tee shot was like. I, what hole did I even start on? One, I think. Ten? I don't, it's, it's such a blur. That's right? a good I guess. <laughs> no, well, I don't, there's two courses, right? So I'm trying yeah, to think yeah. what course it was on. It might have been the hills, might have been the lakes. It was on the lakes, hole number 10. 
striped down the middle, hit a good shot in there, right? I mean, super, super windy day. It was 30, 40 miles an hour. I knew that if I just kept myself in it, you know, that I would be in a good spot. You can definitely lose it on that day. A lot of guys shot five, six, seven over and were immediately out of the tournament. Mm -hmm. So again, that was when my game plan, it didn't shift during the round. It shifted before. Okay, okay. not going to go for that par four because it's into the wind. I can't get there, right? I'm going to lay back. So all this analyzation or course management is happening the night before when they send out the pins. They send the pins. I get my course map, my my yardage book. I basically draw up my entire round. I'm mm. going to hit mini driver on one. It's going to be 107 yards in. I had a 58-degree wedge to about 15 feet. It's going to be a left to righter, so I'll make that one. Uh, yeah, every putt I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing, I'm making. So I'm trying to shoot 18 under. Next hole, driver. Little wind was into off the right. I'll have 116 yards in. It's a gap wedge. I'll hit that to five feet short of it. Roll that one in. 12 is going to be a really tough hole. I'm going to move that tee up. I'll have two options. It's tees back, tees up. It's going to be a driver for both of them. You know, let's avoid that right bunker because that's but right bunker is going to be really, really tough. We'll play a little fade off that left bunker. And I actually dream of this when I'm going to sleep. That's how I fall asleep. I just go, okay, hole one, mini driver, 106 yards in. You know, gap, uh, Oh, this is gap. all in your head. Oh, in my head. Yeah. Right. I mean, Did you I already write this down. in your yardage book as well? Exactly. So I'll write it down and now I'm envisioning and I can go through every single hole, every single round on what I was exactly trying to do. Right. Number 18, I knew exactly that I was gonna hit mini driver in the final round because one was gonna be down. I didn't want to get it to the water on the left. And that gave me a five, five or four iron in, depending on if I drew it or faded it. I ended up fading it. So I hit a four iron, um, you know, made birdie, two putt birdie. So all these shots are, are trying to be pre-programmed into my program or my routine or my yardage plan. And yeah, I mean, 108 holes of golf. It's just to go back to your original question, you know, try to be as level as you can try to just keep yourself in it and give yourself a chance in the back nine. So that was my goal. And I'm the back nine was really tough. The wind shifted and it wasn't what I was expecting. It was a, you know, unexpected, unexpected uh, wind. And I had to just make up, you know, the shots there. And that's when you get out of your routine and you got to, you know, take a deep breath and be like, okay, well, let's refocus and we'll make our routine right now or make our, make our plan right now. So it was definitely a really interesting tournament because I've never played an 108 hole tournament, six round tournament, different than something I've ever done. But I think over the 108 holes, you know, you can kind of prove that you're, you're one of the deserving players. And luckily and thankfully I was able to do that. Yeah. I wonder James, if almost this marathon mentality is helpful in the sense of just plodding along. It's, it's almost like not just stick to my routine, but almost like pace yourself. Right. Yeah. Cause even emotionally, if you get too high, too low, the idea of doing four practice rounds before six rounds, <laughs> when you said that, I was like, I don't even think I'd play the four rounds. Obviously, yeah, I, I don't have pro golf enough. shape, but yeah. Talk about that. What did the pacing, did that help that idea of pace yourself? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's way different than a Monday qualifier where you got 18 holes to go shoot 10 under. Uh, at the Pinnacle Bank Monday qualifier, it's it's my game plan for that was way different than my six round tournament over in Europe. That that event is literally go after every single pin. Does not matter where it is. It doesn't matter if you shoot ninety five. As long as you shoot ten under, you're going to be in, right? Five under is the same as shooting ninety five. It's just not going to get in, right? So that one, my game plan was, I'm aiming at three feet either side of the hole, no matter where the pin is, no matter what what trouble it is. It's just going to be driver send at the pin. 
This one is more okay. Let's plot ourselves around. Let's make the highest percentage shots and then do the work on the putting green. Some really good putter. Get the ball in the green, try to make some putts. Yeah, I saw your recent um what is it, Panther National? Yeah. JT and Jack's new course. I saw it. I was like, man, I think it was 13 and 14. I was like, those up and downs on 13 and 14 were unbelievable. Yeah. And you made them look pretty damn routine. It was not the easy. Those are not the easiest shots. So I was, I was kind of taking a big sigh of relief after I made those. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I can tell you watching the video, it looks very routine. So is that, I mean, forgive my ignorance again, I'm trying to figure out how these different qualifying works, but I would think it sounds like corn fairy is stage one, stage two. That's one. Is that one round? No, no. So I was talking about Monday qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah. But going comparing comparing corn fairy stages versus the DP world, I'm trying to understand the six round. How much more was on DP world versus corn fairy yeah. stage one, stage two? How many rounds are in corn fairy? So the pre qualifying for corn fairy is three rounds. Then first okay. stage is four rounds. Second stage is four rounds. Oh, and over in Europe, first stage and second stage are both four rounds as well. Final stage over in the states is four rounds, and the final stage over in Europe is six rounds. Wow. Okay. So it's still quite a lot, even for Corn Ferry. Yeah. So thinking about the James that came on our show almost two seasons ago, what do you know that he didn't? I don't know if it's what I know. I think it's what I believe, what I trust, you know, my process and sticking to it. I think it's knowing how to get the ball in the hole when you're not playing your best, right? Relying on your short game. I think it's also about not being perfect. You know, you don't always have the perfect round you don't always have the perfect shot shape you don't always have the perfect you know feeling in your body or or recovery level it's it's just playing with what you got trusting and yeah i mean it's hard to kind of put myself in those shoes two years ago i was a very good player but i'm much better now and it's just you know i've got a long ways to go i think in in two two years from now i'm gonna be saying the same thing about myself now and i feel like i'm in a great spot now but you're yeah. always trying to get better. You're always trying to get 1% better. And that's you know something I'm going to keep doing and not get complacent. That was episode 286. It came out December 17th with James Nicholas, the masterclass on playing well when it matters most. All right, so if you want a little bit more out of the par train, you can head over to the website, thepartrain.com, and enter your email address. It's right there on the homepage when you log on to the website. And it's a great way to be more in touch with the Part Train podcast, but it gets you so much more. As soon as you put your email in and hit hop aboard, you're going to be signed up for the newsletter. It comes out every single Monday, and it gives you a little tidbit, what's rolling around in our host's brains, and sends it out to you via email. They're, 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 that's it, just a Monday email. They won't bombard you with a whole bunch of Part Train propaganda by any means. And not only that, when you put that email in, you get first-in-line access to merch drops. If you're on thepartrain.com, there's tabs at the top. Click on Shop, and you'll be able to see all of the new merchandise that the Part Train has to offer. There were six new colors for hat drops in 2023, and if you go over there and click on those, you'll be able to find the one that you like, get it ordered up. Might even throw in a Part Train sticker and a postcard for you as well. So thepartrain.com, enter your email address, and you're first in line for merch drops, and you'll get that mental game nugget and insight in your email every single Monday. All right, we're getting back on track with episode number 287. This one came out on a Christmas Eve Sunday, December 24th. Are swing changes really worth it? Just Evan and Matt on this one, and Sir made it back to the show after his wedding 
to talk about a possible swing change. So we'll see what they have to say about that. And we'll be back with you to close up shop with episode 288, the final episode of 2023, which was no doubt chock full of goodies. But right now, 287, our swing change is really worth it. This is really the question that every passenger needs to ask themselves when they're thinking about making a change. Is it, is this because I don't believe that I'm good enough without it? Right. Right. And, and we know the trappings of backswing and positional you're, you know, all about it. It's, it's hard to say it's the end all be all right. It's cause it's when it's like, there's other things to work on in your game that are very important. Well, like yeah. Pitching, if the, like, if, shipping, like we're perfect, bro. You work on it all. Right. But that's, we're all adults, right? You work and you, where do you put your energy? towards when you do get a chance to practice. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to ask it to you in a very specific way, but I'm going to frame it in a way that everybody can relate to. So the specific version is, okay, if the issue we're trying to solve is height and spin to be able to have closer proximity to the holes in tough, firm greens, maybe elevated, yeah, can I accomplish that in other ways than changing my backswing. Can I change golf balls to add spin? Can I work on hitting spinnier shots? Can I work on putting it in different places in my stance? Is it a different kind of move through the ball where instead of trappy, it's a little bit more, you know, kind of flighted up in a way? Like, I guess the question is, is this the end all be all or are there other ways to, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, are there other ways to get closer to what you want to accomplish without blowing everything up? And do you think this is blowing everything up? Or if you think this is just one thing to work on? I mean, it's a domino effect, right? I get a good takeaway. I get the club face square over my right shoulder. Well, now I'm in a position to now potentially, right? Get that club to transition, you know, into the slot with the handle forward and your, and your weight moving. Right now, I don't do some of those things I just mentioned. And it's a domino effect, right? Yeah. So, I mean, now your question's fair. Are there other creative ways to tr- to try to you know hit or promote some of those shots you don't seem like you can hit? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you know. Wouldn't you argue that a U.S. mid am in places that are firm and fast, maybe some wind, wouldn't that promote a player like you? Why do you say there's wind? I mean, there might be. Sure. I just, <laughs> I'm just saying tough conditions. You play better. There's a that's grinder true. in a tough that's, tournament where people are going to shoot themselves out of it because of the stage. Wouldn't that, I'm just, I'm just throwing other options because I think the I real issue you. here I, I, is I, you're trying to help me think, which is yeah, the point of the I think episode, right? The real issue here is I don't think you believe you're good enough to play in tournaments. I believe I believe I'm good enough to hang in there, compete. I believe that I I I belong there, but I don't believe that I can win, or I don't believe that I can qualify. Mm. I think I can get close, you know. Not saying it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. I just know. Yeah, but the way you talked about it, you needed chip ins. You needed to have a hot putter. Like yeah. those are things that it's. I like don't think I can buy in I, the sky. Right. I just don't think I can ball strike it going to be hard to hit enough for the proper shots to give myself, you know, a real okay, chance. Okay, so to... clearly the the which we've knew we knew this, I feel the same way for me. 
is you don't feel confident enough in your ball striking abilities to hang in. What you're saying is your strength is keeping you in it versus your strength is giving you an advantage, putting you ahead, right? Yeah. Because one weakness is pulling you back. The strength is kind of getting you back to neutral. What you're saying is you want a weakness to be more of an average or decent part of your game to keep right. you in it. Right. And then your, your strength. Now, obviously you'll have off days. Your strength can keep you in it, but you're totally. saying every round you'd like so that your strength gets you ahead. Yeah. Not just, I just you back to neutral. Yeah. I just saw a lot like one of the, 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 the tougher courses I played this year. It was just a lot of, again, guys, I don't want to, it's not about sympathy, but it was 75, 76, you know, and even on some courses that weren't even that long, but you're playing at a private club, greens are just firm and fast, and you're I'm hitting shots that yeah, solid, good, we're exactly where I want to my spot, but stopping the golf ball. Well, I right? can, yeah. and then you get a tighter, fair, tighter fairways, right? Very tight fairways at better golf courses, and I'm just not compressing it the same way as mm. I was, at, you know, at a public course, for example. Yeah, and and, and you see that and it's like, man, I thought that was actually a decent swing. That was that was my move. Right. That's not good. Well, that can be that's so, a great call out because it can be frustrating to not get a great result consistently. Obviously. Yeah, we get bad breaks and all this. Get things, bad you know? breaks, but consistently to not be rewarded for hitting a good shot can get frustrating out there. And it right, makes when you, you wonder what's what am I doing what's, wrong? What's going on here? And, and, and for me, it's like, man, that's my move. You right. Know, could I have tried to hit it higher? Yeah, but I would have had to try it. It just it's not my that's not my move. You know, well, let me ask you this. What is what do you think would be easier? What do you think would be because I want the listener thinking about this for their game? Is it because you're a shot maker? Yeah. Could you learn to hit it higher without having a positional change in your backswing? Like if because um, yeah, I mean I sure I could, you know, I could manipulate it to go high. Yeah. And how do you feel about like that was a pretty yeah, I could do that type of answer. Whereas when, so think about the difference between how quickly you answered it that way yeah. versus how you felt about changing your wrist at the top. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if I had to go out and I could play in a, you know, on a tough day and hit the, try to hit those high, higher shots. Cause I, right now I don't want to try to hit those because I just don't feel like it's, I just feel the inconsistency levels is, will come right, out. You don't have confidence. But I that. could though, right? I could next round, I you know, could go do that. And there could be some good results. Because that's just, what I would get curious of, right? Yeah. Like if you already know you're naturally a good shot maker and you're really good at manipulating the face, not in a, in a controlling way, but more of like a, I'm going to go out and hit shots way. The one thing we've learned from all these tour pros and top amateur players is if they focus on hitting shots, and they're usually better off than getting to positions. We know that, right? So I guess the question would be, is it worth taking a couple weeks and seeing with your existing move, can you start practicing hitting higher shots and seeing what that does to your ball striking and consistency? And if that's just terrible or it's not working, then yeah. maybe you go to something because I think that's the thing. Well, and, and I think what you've identified there is kind of like this is it's this or that, right? It's either I go down the, the route of trying to make this swing change, right? Or I just try to get better with what I have. 
From December 24th, episode 287, our swing change is really worth it with Evan and Matt. Final episode of the year dropped on the final day of the year, December 31st. It was episode 288, and I love when the guys do this, and they do it every single year. They go back through the entire year and pick 10 of their favorites, so five from Evan, five from Serm, and they play them back without knowing which ones are coming up. It's great for me to go back to and pick out some of these things that they would like in the podcast, and I'd pick those out of there and paste them back into uh, what is episode 288 this year. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about the Maria Fossey episode. I forgot about the John Sherman episode, or the time we had a part train listener come aboard and talk about how he wanted to quit golf, but decided practice was key and he kept with it. Episode 285 was a part of the 10 best sound bites with Dr. Brett McCabe, which is a part of this episode as well. But selfishly, I'm going to go with one of Matt's picks. And it was when TaylorMade's Chris Trot came aboard the train from episode 231. The episode was Clear the Clutter. I say selfishly because this was the least amount of edits that I had to make in a single episode because of how well-spoken Chris Trot is. So let's clear the clutter with TaylorMade's Chris Trot from episode 231, packed into episode number 288 to close it up here on the monthly recap. I wasn't very patient. I'm just not a very patient person. So that was a constant reminder for me. Like every yardage book I had would have like patience. Now, what that means in golfing terms is pick the flags you go for and don't be an idiot. And obviously as time's gone on, you know, there was a great podcast with Harry Higgs and he wouldn't even some tournaments he was playing, he wouldn't even fire with a nine iron at a back flag if he didn't feel like he had his game. I was playing, I played in a qualifier for the Qatar Masters back in like early 2000. I played with the guy who went on to be rookie of the year on the European Tour. And when we finished, I was leading. When we finished, I didn't get in. He just said to me, how much money you got in your bank? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you play millionaire golf. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, there's not one flag you didn't go straight at today. Like, how do you expect to get in the tournament when we're playing for one spot and you're bringing double bogey into play on every hole because you're firing at every flag? Like, that's, and that's what I mean by patience. That's good. Good stuff right there, Ev. <laughs> he's such a good storyteller. Right? He's funny, right? Yeah. He's <laughs> like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> Don't be an idiot. I love those things you're saying. What a great um, question. How much money do you have in your bank account? Because you're playing millionaire <laughs> golf. Yeah. I think a lot so, of us are playing millionaire golf. Yeah, we are. And I, I, we talk about this idea of playing center, you know, center of the green, cons, you know, aggressive to conservative targets. We can't be firing at flags all day. And I think that's a really, he summed it up in a really, really important way. And he's a great mini tour player, but I, I I do want to add to this, Ev. So this is a little this is this is a little bit of a caveat, and why I picked it. I want to explain to the listeners how this works, actually, because this is what's really funny. Tell me if you agree. If I say to you, or if you said to me, okay, aim at the flag. I am going to look at the flag, and that's my target. I'm going for the flag. That is my visualization. Now you say, Matt, on the next hole, aim the center of the green. I'm not aiming at the center of the green. I am aiming at a tree branch or a bunker edge behind the green for my visualization. Because what is actually the center of the green? So I think this is really important. You know, it's funny because if you, 
you go with the flag. I don't know what you think of, but are you, you know, it seems like the flag is always going to encapsulate us as our target, as opposed to something, a tree branch or a leaf or a rake or an edge of a bunker directly behind it. <laughs> the point is, yes, we need to be not be going at flags unless we have short irons and we've got a lot of room. Most of the time, we need to be thinking about the center of the green, but it's really about picking a spot, whether it's in front of you or if you're a person like me, it was more visual. I like to look out in the distance, really honing in on, like I said, that tree branch, that rake, that edge of the bunker, because center of the green, you don't know, you're not looking at anything. You don't know what exactly is the center of the green. You right. know, there's nothing sticking out of the center of the green. There's a flag sticking out of the flag, right? So I wanted to elaborate on this a little bit, and I'm sure this has been discussed in episodes with guests, but I wanted to add this in, Ev, so I'll because the concept is so important. Be patient, you know, be smart with your iron play. Think about the long game, you know, in terms of the big picture of your, of your round, but you got to know how to aim properly and think about the center of the green. I love this. It's so funny. You say this because we haven't talked about it explicitly, but you probably saw in my video with Brett McCabe, when I went out to see him in Birmingham, he said this exact thing to me, hole one, I actually hit a good drive off the first tee, no warm up, And I'd like a hundred yards to the center of the green, a little uh, three quarter 52, which is what I like to do with a hundred yard shot. And he goes, wait a second, middle of the green is a pretty big target. Where are you actually aiming? Yeah. And I said, oh, okay, well, there's that tree trunk in the back. And there's this little like yellow it was like an orange piece of tape. I think they were doing some construction. He goes, love that spot. It's perfect. And I hit it right at that spot, yeah. right? It, it may have been the, I may have heard it there too. Yeah. So that's great. I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. Because I've, like, um, I've heard this too, but this is how I, yeah. There's such a difference there. Yeah, 100%. And you know, the fun thing is, maybe that's, we never said this either, but maybe that's a reason why it's really hard to aim at the quote, middle of the green all round is because you don't know what you're aiming at. And I would say this term of all the I'll podcasts take that a step we've further done in a second, actually, that's a great point. Go ahead. Well, it is when you see the flag. Okay. Done. Got it. I'm going for the flag. Right. Right. When you're looking at the center of the green or the left part of the green, you got to find a target. This is about mental energy, which is so exhausting when you play golf, mm -hmm. you want to play really high level golf. It's like, oh my God, is it this? Is it, is it the lip? Do I like that? That's what makes it tough. Yeah. Can you guys sense <laughs> he's getting fired up over here? Can you sense it? I told you I was fired up for this episode. <laughs> okay. Now, here's the last thing I'll say on this soundbite. We've only almost done 300 episodes on this podcast over seven years. I would say the one thing that everyone can do better that will 100%, 100%, lead to lower scores is playing more conservative. Like if you actually focused all round on like, what club am I comfortable with? What club am I not having second guesses with? What club can I get in play? And what is the fattest area of the fairway knowing my dispersion and my miss? And then how can I aim to a part of the green using a target, like you said, so that I'm giving myself the best chance to hit this green 
knowing my misses, knowing my yardage dispersion. And I think back to this past year on the few times that I actually did ride that par train and really get into a groove. It's when I was getting really focused on course management again. Yeah. And being conservative. And I think right. that's and, what this is about, right? Well, and, and, and to Trotty's point, he's not a, this was, this is a great player who is just not a patient player, has to become a, you have to develop patience. That takes work, guys. Yeah. And right. <laughs> Love it. So, yeah. I thought that's that was a good great. one. It's from episode 288, 10 ways to play the best golf of your life in 2024. That particular section of that episode was with Chris Trott from episode 231, Clear the Clutter, from a little bit earlier in 2023. That's your monthly recap, folks. I'm Brett, the editor aboard the par train to pick out the best of the best from the month past. Can't wait to see you next time when we recap January and dive into the actual goals for 2024. A lot of great stuff coming up with the par train wherever you find us on social media whether it be twitter instagram youtube which is growing great if you haven't swung by and gave us a like and a subscribe please do that we'd love to have you aboard lots of stuff dropping daily over there and on the rest of our social media platforms too as for the par train podcast you can give us a review on apple podcasts and spotify and don't forget about that newsletter head over to thepartrain.com enter your email address you'll get that weekly newsletter and be first to know about merchandise drops which there are some coming up in 2024 that you won't want to miss ball markers in particular that are very unique to the part train again guys i'm brett thanks so much for listening each and every week to the part train podcast i'll be behind the scenes with you each and every week so have a great rest of your month i know we're all looking forward to spring just hang in there and we'll see you around the corner thanks guys